Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio. Welcome to A Public Affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. On a heating planet, fungi are hot. From a best-selling book to a popular Netflix documentary and a surge of interest in mushroom foraging, fungi represent something strong in the current cultural zeitgeist. My guests today argue that they are also a key partner in addressing the climate crisis. And fungi are fundamentally democratic. They're community builders, they're essential to keeping ecosystems regulated, and they're easy to find and everywhere. Wherever there are roots, there are fungi, says Toby Kears, co-founder of the nonprofit organization Society for the Protection of Underground Networks, or SPUN. This global group of scientists was founded in 2021 to map and protect Earth's mycorrhizal networks. Fewer than 10% of the planet's fungal species have been identified and described, and the fungal diversity of only one one-hundredth of a percent of Earth's surface has been explored. On today's show, we'll meet some of Spun's underground explorers embarking on expeditions to document Earth's vital underground fungal diversity. These myconauts, as they call themselves, aim to combine fungal data from around the world to help identify and combat urgent threats to underground ecosystems. I'm delighted today to introduce our guests from two continents. First, we have with us Dr. Adriana Corrales, who is the Expedition Strategy and Planning Lead with the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. She's also an Assistant Professor of Forest Ecology at the Universidad del Rosario in Bogota, Colombia. Welcome, Adriana. Thank you so much for this invitation. And thanks for I'm joining so excited us. excited to be here. And... Dr. Nawel Policelli is a biologist at the Patagonian Institute for the Study of Continental Ecosystems. He studies mycorrhizal fungi in the South American reg region of Patagonia in Argentina. Welcome, Nawel. Thank you so much, Douglas. Thank you to everyone. It's great to have you with us. And also with us is Dr. Nuro Yoro, who is head of the Department of Natural Resources Management at the University of Paracu in the West African country of Benin. He studies fungal diversity in cacao plantations in the Ivory Coast. Welcome to A Public Affair, Nuro. Thank you very much. Thank you, Douglas. It's great to have you with us. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question for my guests about fungi, the Wood Wide Web, global conservation of fungi, or you want to share an experience of your connections with fungi, please do give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. Rarely are you going to have a chance to talk with three such experts about fungi at one time, so this is your chance to ask questions, folks, about fungi. Adriana, we'll start with you today. Um, give us a kind of brief explanation of what mycorrhizal fungi are for those of us who aren't familiar with them and a little bit about their natural history. 
Yes, of course. Uh, mycorrhizal fungi are very specialized fungi that are are in connection with plants, are uh, symbiotic with plants. That means they help plants to acquire nutrients from the soil uh, and water, and the plants uh, give them sugar in return for uh, for those nutrients. So they are uh, constantly interchange exchanging uh, nutrients and sugar, and they are mutualistic. So that means they are helping each other all the time, or almost all the time. Um, so that, that's what we call mycorrhizae because myco means fungi and rhizae means um, root. So is they form an special organs inside of the roots with the exchange of nutrients happens. So for their natural history, history these are not um, they don't come from a, from only one origin. That means. There are several types of mycorrhizal fungi and they have different evolutive origins. So the most ancient ancient, ancient mycorrhizal type is my arbuscular, what we call arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi or endomycorrhizae. And they are believed to be the ones that help plants colonize terrestrial environments to colonize earth uh, because they help plants or non-vascular plants in that back, back then when they were only mosses uh, or um, liverworts coming out of the aquatic environment to live in more dry environments on Earth and help them to absorb more water and more nutrients from the soil and they were able to colonize the dry environments. And this is one type of mycorrhizal, it's super ancient. But we have other origins of mycorrhizae. For example, something we call ectomycorrhizae that were, uh, that appear at different points uh, through evolutionary history. And we believe they were, uh, they were originated with pines. But I think in the Carboniferous, when pines evolved, then this new type of mycorrhizal fungi evolved too. And those are the ones that are very easy to see, the mushrooms, many of the mushrooms that we eat, the chanterelles, the bolides, all those delicious stuff are ectomycorrhizal fungi, while their buscular are very small. They don't form these uh, macro structures, macroscopic structures, and they basically form very small asexual um, spores that are only are in the soil and you can see under a scope. I see. And can you give us a sense of those those familiar mushrooms that you were just describing, what their mycorrhizae underground that many of us don't usually see, what they look like underground? Yes, and I invite my colleagues to sure. join yeah. the conversation yeah. because I know they are experts too. They're just my colleagues. So I invite you to jump in if <laughs> you feel like uh, I'm missing something. But well, this mycorrhizae um, form on their underground are basically microscopic networks uh, that we call mycelium. So fungi are made of these very thin, long cells we call hyphae. And those hyphae are very, very thin. 
but when they are in groups, then they call them mycelial because you can see them uh, sometimes. But, and through these basically highways, underground highways, they can um, transport huge amounts of nutrients and water and sugars too. So, and then at some point when they form microscopic, these mushrooms, they just get together and, and form these very big structures from that mycelium to, to reproduce. Those are basically the reproductive structures. And the ones that you can see, uh, am I correct? They're, they're little white strands, right? Often these mycorrhizae just under the surface yeah. of the soil, right? So even gardeners might run into these occasionally or people who work in, in the forest if they, they look underground. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh, underground, there are many, many types of fungi. We found the mycorrhizae, but we also find a lot of decomposers and other fungi that live there. So if you look, you might see mycelium, but you not always know if that it's just decomposing organic matter in the soil or just all comes from, from ectomycorrhizae. If you are, for example, in an oak forest, in a pine forest, these are the dominant um, type of fungi. And then if you are near roots, you see, you see the mycelium uh, growing out of the roots, and then you can be certain that those are ectomycorrhizae. But in general, uh, there are many, many fungi that live in the soil as well. Before we get into your individual explorations as underground explorers, I'd love to hear you all talk a little bit more about why these mycorrhizae are, are so important, what processes they support, underground processes that contribute to life on Earth. I'll turn it to you, Noro, to tell us a little bit more about that. What processes do you think are really important that mycorrhizae contribute to that support Earth's functions and systems? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, mycorrhizal fungi are really important in uh, forest ecosystem because they can contribute, they can sustain plant growth. And uh, by doing so, they contribute to the forest regeneration and uh, that uh, will increase also carbon sequestration. This is really important in the context of climate change uh, because uh, otherwise the forests are burned are just right, and then uh, we will lose the carbon. This is not uh, really a, a nest of in the context of climate change. So another important of mycorrhizal fungi is that uh, they can connect below ground. Mycorrhizal fungi can connect roots from different plants, making what we call the mycorrhizal networks that sustain the diversity that sustain plant diversity. And uh, in tropical area, for example, vast area of forest can uh, be regenerated thanks to the microbial symbiosis. There is a, a clear link between the savanna and the, the, the microbiota within this savanna ecosystem. So um, there is uh, another aspect uh, which is not uh, really detailed is the importance of microbial fungi in facing the, 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 the pathogens in the root system of plants. So close to the nutrients uptake and nutrient transports, microbial fungi are also known to protect the fine root tips against soil pathogens. 
against it's soil pathogens kind of, and disease, in other words. Disease. Yeah. It's a kind of natural pharmacy for the plants. That's a great, so, great metaphor for it. And Nawel, we'll turn to you maybe to talk a little bit about one function of mycorrhizae that many people here in the United States might, might have heard popularized recently as the wood wide web and the powers of mycorrhizae to help plants um, communicate with each other, so to speak. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that works? Wow, that's, that's a difficult one. Uh, no, I mean, um, one thing that is interesting is, uh, so mycorrhizal fungi, are real. They uh, connect plants and they can actually interact with the roots, as, as Adriana and Dr. Euro said, um, and to obtain nutrients and water. They are not always, uh, they are always symbionts. They are not always mutualists. Even uh, in the life of one plant individual, they can behave as pathogenic or mutualists. Uh, so they can move in, the continuum, in that continuum, uh, always as symbionts, but sometimes as um, good partners and sometimes as bad partners. Um, so people uh, first, I think my impression is like they like to see mycorrhizal fungi as always like good partners in which they kind of shake hands with uh, plants uh, and like they give them nutrients in exchange of carbon, blah, blah, blah. That's not always the case. That's, that's the first thing. Uh, so the evidence shows first that. And then the other thing is that there's not much hard evidence on what we all kind of like would like to think of mycorrhizal fungi as connectors uh, between plants in a forest, especially uh, there is some people talking about how different plants can actually uh, transfer nutrients or tell other plants, hey, there's a pathogen nearby, uh, and how all that is connected uh, below ground. That, that is super interesting and super exciting. It's kind of like an avatar version of a forest, which we would all like to see, but the actual evidence doesn't support, and there's an interesting recent paper in Nature published by, by Justin Karst uh, and Jason Kaksema and others that shows that there are not that many experiments actually showing hard evidence on that connection, which doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but we need more experimental evidence in vitro and in vivo to be able to tell that it, this is actually what's happening, that fungi are able to connect different plants from uh, below ground. Um, but they are important enough as, uh, as, as they are now. What we know is that they not only kind of like transfer nutrients, but they also can, as Dr. Euro was saying, like they can regulate the carbon cycle and the nitrogen cycle below ground because they are not alone. They interact with other saprotrophs, with plants, and they can actually condition what we see above ground, like the vegetation that we see when we walk on a forest. Most of what we see is partially explained by, by what is happening below ground. You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with three scientists who are mapping underground networks of fungi around the world with the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. If you have a question for my guests about fungi or global conservation of fungi, or you want to share an experience of your connections with fungi, please do give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. So 
Uh, we got a little update there, an overview of fungi and some of the new research coming out about their functions and importance around the world. And uh, before we turn to Spun and your work, it looks like we do have a caller on the line. Oh, sorry, he's not on the line. He has a question that he sent in, though. However, asking, can mycorrhizal fungi prevent wildfires or act as a retardant to wildfires? Wildfires in the news so much these days here in North America. I don't know about where all of you are sitting right now. But uh, if anybody has an idea about uh, how mycorrhizae fun um, respond to fires, um, that's great. If not, we can obviously move on. We can't answer every question that might come out of the blue. But um, anybody want to speak to that? Something that Dylan. Well, I... Yeah, sorry, Adrian, oh. go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead, Noel. I, I was saying that something that the, the listener um, uh, might be interested in, like looking for, is um, I, I'm not sure they can prevent wildfires or act as retardant, but there are, and I'm talking about ectomycorrhizal fungi, uh, there are fungi that are fire resistant, which means that after wildfires, uh, they are really good at um, building a spore bank, uh, so spores that are resistant to fire, and then uh, after fire can then germinate and colonize, if we are talking about mycorrhizal fungi, colonize roots of uh, new hosts that can establish. So there is some research uh, going on, uh, not only in the US, uh, but also in Canada, in Spain, about the, the role of this fungi after fire and in fire, uh, post-fire restoration. Um, like, can we inoculate plants uh, with these uh, fungi um, so that they happen to grow better compared to uninoculated plants? Oh, can, or can we transfer soil, um, local soil, from unburned areas to burned areas and see if that happens to help um, the restoration efforts. So that those are questions that are still ongoing and in process, um, but there are groups that are collecting evidence on those, yeah. That's fascinating. Um, we have a comment here from uh, Kelsey Walter, the Spun uh, Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. Um, communication lead that uh, spun research last summer in the Apennine Mountains, um, but they are, are still awaiting the results. So there is new research forthcoming on uh, the impact uh, of mycorrhizae and burn sites and what happens after uh, wildfires. I'll turn it back to you now, Adriana, and have you tell us a little bit more about SPUN, the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks, um, what are the goals of the organization and what are the different areas you're working in? And obviously, in particular today, we're interested in the Underground Explorers Project. Yes, thank you for that question. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization um, for the conservation of mycorrhizal fungi. We are a science-based organization and our main goal is to map all the mycorrhizal networks in the in the world so it's a that's a big task but also to um to help their conservation to put them out there in the media to make them look um not to make them look but to show the public that the importance of these networks and how is how big is their impact 
in ecosystems because this has been uh, a topic that has been a study for a long time but haven't reached big audiences at least until this um, mother tree uh, on, on the um, plants internet uh, ideas. Uh, but we really want to 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 reach uh, the broad communities, show their importance, and also find ways to use them for restoration, for climate change, and for conservation overall of all ecosystems. Uh, because to complement uh, my colleague Noru' uh, response of why are these important, these uh, networks store a lot of carbon, more than we think. They could be up to 30% of all the microbial biomass in the soil, and that's a lot of carbon. And also, they help store carbon in ecosystems for the reasons, because they help plants to grow more and to fix more carbon, but also because they form a lot of biomass and store that when this biomass die, get stored in the ecosystems, but also because they produce proteins or substances that keep soil together, so aggregates together, and that helps um, to stop soil degradation and to store more carbon in the soils. So our purpose, spawns, um, spawns uh, goals are to basically map, cons uh, help with conservation, and also learn new ways to use them for conservation of ecosystems. And the Underground Explorers program uh, is a very, it's a very exciting program for me because it's a program that we developed to reach those places that haven't been explored before for mycorrhizal fungi. So we look at the map, at the global map, and we are in collaboration with several other research, with several research groups for example, global fungi, um, we are trying to identify places on Earth that haven't been sampled. And we are helping people, local researchers, to go to these places. So we are not basically going to, go to different countries and sampling, even though we do that in a small scale, but we want local scientists, so local mycorrhizal scientists that are already in the countries. We want to support them and we want to go and sample their own ecosystems. And we want to be that support network, like the mycelium that they need to thrive and to do very good research. And basically we want to, if they, we're, we're giving these small grants of $10,000 to to for expeditions and sequencing uh, but we also want to offer support technical support if they need i don't know if they don't have a facility for example for sequencing on site then we facilitate that basically we want to be facilitators and accelerators of this research Tell us just briefly, Adriana, what uh, you mean by sequencing and what the importance of that is for mapping these mycorrhizal networks? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, as I said before, some of these fungi we can see, but most of these fungi are not producing these macro structures all the time. And they are there, but we cannot see them because they are microscopic. 
So what we do is we just collect the soil and do something that is called environmental sequencing from some uh, DNA, we extract the DNA from that soil and we are able to amplify the DNA of every single fungal cell on that small sample of soil. And then with that, we can, and, and some tools like Gene Bank, for example, we're able to put names to those fungi and we are able to say how many species are in a particular soil sample. So it's a way, in a sense, to see what's unseen to the naked eye and to the naked human eye and, and quantify it in some sense and, and, and name it. Exactly, yes. Okay. And you mentioned, again, the importance of carbon um, sequestration, this work that mycorrhizal networks are doing. Um, our, again, uh, communication lead from Spun points out that 3.93 gigatons of carbon flow through mycorrhizal networks annually. That's equivalent to 36% of annual human fossil fuel emissions. So they're really doing a huge amount of work in terms of keeping that carbon in the soil, which is, of course, if we want to prevent uh, catastrophic global warming where we want it instead of up in the atmosphere or in the oceans. So you've created this global network of uh, scientists who are working to map and sequence and identify all the fungi there in their places. Let's turn to, we have two of our explorers with us today. Let's turn back to you, Noro, there in Benin in West Africa and tell us about uh, your place and the research there uh, that you're conducting. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, Douglas. Uh, right now, I am linked to Spoon Project, Spoon Program to work uh, on the projects in cocoa plantation, Ivory Coast. I know in Ivory Coast is uh, one of the most cocoa producer worldwide. Um, and uh, in this country, large area of natural forests are cleared off and uh, replaced by cocoa plantation. So it's it's uh, just like people are destroying natural forests and uh, putting cacao plantation on the land. Uh, so what uh, we are looking in this project is to, to see how these land use types affect the below ground diversity and abundance of mycorrhizal fungi. So uh, we expect and we hope that the change is not so huge. And uh, the overall objective is to help local people to restore the natural plant capital. Because um, not uh, in the natural forest, they have many multi-purpose trees. And these many multi-purpose trees are usually treasured by local people. So it's really important to restore them. But to restore them, we need to know what are the mycorrhizal fungi that used to live in some biotic relationship with these trees in order to help repopulating natural area with these trees. So this is all about the project there. We already made some samples in different cacao, cocoa plantation uh, area in Ivory Coast. We have uh, over 50 samples. And as uh, my colleague Adriana told, we are on the step to make what we call DNA sequences from the samples to see what is the diversity, what are the most abundant uh, mycorrhizal fungi in these samples 
when we compare the cacao plantation soils to forest to natural forest soils so so is it yeah and so what are you discovering or what are your hypotheses so far about the impact of that intensive cacao farming what this is like you said a region where that produces much of the world's chocolate um yes yeah what are the impacts of that farming on uh the underground life there what are you finding Yes, uh, currently we do not yet have results, but we expect our hypothesis is that the plantation and the subsequent uh, different management uh, regimes will uh, uh, create some shifts in mycorrhizal fungi. We will not expect to see natural capital of mycorrhizal fungi there. We don't know right now what fungi are there, but we expect that there is a, a, a change and then this change will not allow the repopulation of the land by natural forest. You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with three scientists who are mapping underground networks of fungi around the world with the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. If you have a question for my guests about fungi, global conservation of fungi, or you want to share an experience of your connections with fungi, please do give us a call at 608 256 2001 extension 9. This is your chance to hear uh, from experts about this underground world around us and your questions about it. Have them answered. We're going to turn to you, Nawel, there in Patagonia in Argentina and have you tell us about the underground exploration that you're doing there. What's the landscape like that you're working in and what are you looking for there? Sure, yeah. Um, so I happen to be an invasion ecologist. I mean, we are a mixture between a mycorrhizal ecologist and a, an invasion ecologist. And that means that uh, since early in my PhD, I've been exposed to systems uh, in which mostly plants were invasive, uh, which means that they have been um, transported by humans, introduced to novel regions like Patagonia, for example. And then they've been able to escape from those regions and colonize other regions without any more human help. And as you may know, invasions are a huge problem. And when I say invasions, I mean uh, animal, plants, and fungi invasions, and algae and other organisms, um, because they transform these uh, habitats and they impact in like not only nutrient cycling, but like also the disturbance regimes, etc. So early in my career, as I was saying, I was exposed to this, okay, plant invasion scenarios, as in the case of pine trees invading in Patagonia. Uh, there are no native pine trees in the southern hemisphere of the world, and some pine trees have been introduced in Patagonia. And I could see these like dry lands or forests completely changed and invaded by pine trees. And what is the relationship between that and mycorrhizal fungi? So some of these invasive plants, especially trees, need mycorrhizal fungi, ectomycorrhizal fungi, as Adriana was explaining before, to be able not only to establish and survive, but also to invade. That means that without them, they can't invade. Uh, so when I was seeing this system, when I was watching them and starting to study them back in 2015, I happen to kind of like, I, I, I like to turn upside down the system 
and see what was going on below ground, what was going on in that invasion front, in that invaded areas with the fungi now. And during these years, we have discovered, for example, that some, it's not the same for the invasive plant to have some fungi or others. So the identity of the fungi that is there happens to matter a lot for plants to be able to invade. So there are certain groups of mycorrhizal fungi that are invasive themselves. And that invasibility, so that capacity to colonize new places of the fungi, of the mutualists, happens to explain, to partially explain, the invasion success of the plant host. Um, so we have been studying Pinaceae, pine species, but now SPAN uh, have uh, started funding this new project about other invaders, mostly in drylands from Patagonia, which are willows. So willows, salix, uh, happen to be invasive too, some species of salix, but the difference with Pinaceae is that we have a native congener, so, so a, a species of salix that is native, so that happens to grow here in Argentina, but um, it's been exposed to invasions to a super related, phylogenetically related invasive plant species. So the invasive one, the invasive plant species is invading in a scenario where it has like counterparts and family, like related partners. And that makes us think that maybe this invasive plant, this invasive salix, is able to use the below ground biota, so the below ground fungi that is associated with the native plant to be able to invade. So it's like, it's not like pines because pines come with their own backpack of fungi and they use that backpack and they throw the fungi there and they kind of invade and facilitate their own invasion. In this case, in the case of salix, we may have a different scenario. We may have salix kind of like catching the fungal uh, networks and the fungi that are there in the soil that are associated with the native salix. And then that is a facilitation mechanism for salix, not only to invade, but also to replace the native salix. So what's going on below ground once again in that area? Is it possible maybe that below ground, the community of fungi is, com is completely changed and now the native salix cannot establish anymore because he can find or it can find their own mutualist? So we're trying to answer those kind of questions on how the below ground biota change because of the invasion. It's fascinating. So you're looking at a disturbance, a human disturbance, invasive species, for example, and people moving plants around the world uh, and its relationship to mycorrhizae. And Nuru there in West Africa, you're looking at another form of human disturbance to ecosystems, agriculture. These are two of the biggest forces on the planet, right, that are reshuffling landscapes. And you're really mapping out what's happening underground with those disturbances. Um, is there much known about the relationship of mycorrhizae and agricultural plants and the relationship of mycorrhizae in and in invasive plant species? Are you two doing really essentially new work in this realm? Or do you have other studies that you can draw on as a basis for your work? Uh, Nora, we'll turn to you in agriculture. Yes. Um, uh, beside the diversity and abundance of uh, mycorrhizal fungi in cocoa plantation, we are working a lot here uh, to see the impact, uh, impacts 
of uh, different agricultural systems on the microestal network below ground. So uh, we are working on corn farms, on cotton farms. Cotton is also a very important crop here in Benin because uh, Benin range among the 10th uh, most uh, cotton producer uh, worldwide. So, and uh, cotton production needs huge amounts of fertilizer. And this fertilizer uh, has a negative impact on uh, the soil microbes, including mycorrhizal. So here we always focus also on this uh, the use the use of fertilizer on soil microbes, and uh, the, the the results are quite amazing. Uh, huge amount, huge diversity of microbes of mycorrhizal fungi disappear from cotton farms. So we also notice high diversity in, in corns, high diversity in rice farms, a high diversity of, uh, of fungi, mycorrhizal fungi in cassava uh, uh, crops and so on. But in cotton, in cotton farms, the diversity is really low. What does it mean? It means just that fertilize, fertilization affects negatively the mycorrhizal networks below ground. So, uh, in terms of agriculture, I think uh, there is a clear link between the fertilization, between the, the, the organic, uh, I, mean, I mean, chemical agriculture and uh, microcell diversity below ground. Mm -hmm. So those are the major trends we are uh, attempting here to clarify. And the results are really nice. Yeah, thank you for that context, Noro. And Nawel, is this uh, a really a new uh, science of figuring out the relationship between invasive species and mycorrhizal fungi, or do you have predecessors that you're drawing on? I mean, I do. I do have predecessors, uh, but one idea that that caught my attention, like when I first started with this, is that all these is kind of new in terms of like science-wise, like invasion ecology as it is. Like the idea of invading organisms started in the second half of the 20th century, right? So, and then all these techniques that Adriana and, and Nuro were mentioning before uh, actually started in the 2000s. So, before that, or, or kind of like in the 90s, but before that, all that we know, it, it was about like people like walking in forest and like, oh, there's a fungi there. Oh, there's a mushroom actually. And the, the, the mushroom that we see actually doesn't have anything to do with what is actually maybe uh, interacting with the root. So all those uh, works, I mean, are, were not that helpful compared to what we have now, these techniques, these tools that can actually give us the list of a species and, and some new novel tools that are able to tell us not only the list of a species, but what they are doing, actively doing in those places. So given that, given that all those things and questions are new, uh, we have some systems um, being explored, that have been explored, especially uh, in terms of plant invasions, um, mostly in the Southern Hemisphere with Pinacea, as I was saying before, in South Africa, Pine species. in New Zealand. Exactly, pine species, pine trees, um, in New Zealand, in South Africa, in Chile, in uh, Argentina, and also in the native range in Europe and the US. Um, and some colleagues um, and mentors that have worked with, uh, in terms of the interaction with 
um, ectomycorrhizal fungi and their importance uh, starting in 20, like 2010. Uh, so is that old? Like we don't have many, many um, um, like works and papers about it. Actually, we put together some uh, review papers, um, like saying these ideas, like like this fungi. This is a recent paper uh, back in 2019, saying that a special group of ectomycorrhizal fungi, according to the evidence that is available, may be acting as a global driver of pine trees invasion. Um, and now, last this year, actually in January, we published another paper saying, okay, hey, like we have this list of invasive fungi um, and the invasibility of the fungi can be explaining or it's a really good predictor of the invasibility of the pine trees. Um, if we talk about salix or other plant species that are also ectomycorrhizal. Willow trees. Uh, so sorry, yeah, yeah, I tend to. That's okay. Uh, the, um, we call it sauces in Spanish, so the common names are, uh, I have to remember in both languages. So uh, yeah, willows um, are, um, I mean, we don't have that much evidence. Like we don't even know that much about, uh, even when there are colleagues that are studying this, of like the species identity, like which are the fungi that are uh, interacting with the roots. So. The first approach is to take the soil and take the roots um, because the, it is not necessarily that like both the species, the set of species that is in the soil is actually the same ones that are interacting, actively interacting um, with the roots. So we take both from the field and we do experiments in vitro with a, green, a greenhouse experiments uh, to be able to tell, okay, which is the least of a species first? So these are the fungi that are interacting. And, and this is how the plant grow, the invasive and the non-invasive plant grow with these fungi. And we can actually play around and inoculate some of these fungi and say, okay, with this one grows better, with this other one grows less. Um, and we can extract some DNA there, see the identity, but also we can extract RNA from the soil and, say, and be able to tell, okay, what they are doing, what are they expressing, what genes are turned on and off according to the conditions that we put in the soil. So we can play around uh, and make these kind of questions, but that, this is, that is novel. That is kind of like in the last five years or so. So, so yeah, we have uh, some mentors and colleagues that are actively working, but it's kind of like new questions. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. I'm Douglas Haynes, and today I'm talking with three scientists who are mapping underground networks of fungi around the world with the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. There's still time in this hour to give us a call. If you have a question about fungi, you can call us at 608-256-2001, extension Nine. So you've all just done this wonderful job of describing essentially how you're engaged in unveiling what was a previously hidden world of associations between plants and mycorrhizae underground. And of course, you're doing this work of unveiling this. You're out on the, uh, the edge of understanding what is happening in the soil at the same time there are all these accelerating threats to all kinds of biodiversity, but I assume fungi as well. Adriana, we'll turn to you to tell us a little bit more about the threats to fungi biodiversity worldwide and how your organization SPUN is working to address those threats. 
Yes, thank you. Uh, I think fungi are not an exception, and mycorrhizal fungi are not an exception to many, many organisms that are being threatened by global change. Um, basically, I would say almost all um, all factors that are changing right now, temperature is changing, uh, that could affect mycorrhizal fungi. Um, Fertilization, as Naoru was mentioning, is a huge thing for mycorrhizae like fungi because plants and fungi have have uh, developed this cooperative mutualist relationship through millions and millions of years. And this could be disrupted if the amount of nutrients in the soil are changed artificially because plants are not going to be as cooperative to fungi if they can acquire these nutrients by themselves. So because we all know plants absorb nutrients through their roots too, without the help of mycorrhizal fungi. So if there are a lot of nutrients in the soil, then I say, why are I going to give my carbon or my sugar to this fungi if I can get these nutrients by myself through my roots? So that disrupts the, the cooperative. Uh, interaction that they have, and that's a huge threat for mycorrhizal fungi as well. Um, for example, pillage or the uh, just working on the soil, remove removing the soil. Did you say tillage? Tillage. Tillage. Yes. yes. So think. agriculture, both the both the mechanistic manipulation of the soil through tillage, but also fertilizer use, are saying big are, exactly. are big threats. Yeah. Exactly, mechanically removing the soil breaks the networks. And that also is, is a threat for, for fungi. And pollution in general, uh, the burning of fossil fuels um, creates two things. It could create acid rain, and it could create the position of nitrogen in the, uh, from the atmosphere. So basically, we're indirectly fertilizing the fields at big scale, and these chemicals can change also the soil pH and can change the mycorrhizal communities and their interaction with the plants. And um, salinific salt, uh, applying yep. salt to mm -hmm. the soil, for example, in the, in the cold temperate places where you have to put salt to melt the snow, that's completely changing soil conditions and that could affect mycorrhizal fungi as well. And there are so many processes of desertification. Um, there are many areas that are getting uh, drier. So drought could influence many mycorrhizal fungi as well. Fire, as one of the listeners uh, brought up, could change mycorrhizal networks or mycorrhizal fungal communities, as we call them. So they have many, many choices. And of course, deforestation, right? Because mycorrhizal are depending on plants for surviving. If we cut down, we do a clear, clear cut of a forest, then we are, um, many, many mycorrhizal fungi are gonna disappear. Um, so, and they are fungi, mycorrhizal fungi that are very specialized and they only want to interact with one or few plant species. There are others that can interact with a lot of species and might not be threatened by this. But for example, the group of mycorrhizal fungi that I work with 
uh, which is ectomycorrhizal fungi from the tropical forests. They are very, very specialized and they have very few plants that they can associate with. And those plants are threatened right now. So if those plants disappear, hundreds of mycorrhizal species can disappear. So basically a lot is going on for them and we have to defend them. Yeah, so you've just named this huge list of, of very big global threats and obviously one organization like the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks can address all of those threats. But in the, the five minutes or so that we have left, tell us a little bit more, uh, maybe we'll go through each of you, about what gives you joy and hope in the work that your organization is doing um, and both and the work that you're doing on the ground there in your specific places. What brings you joy and hope working with Mycorrhizae and working with Spun? Uh, we'll go back to you, Noru. Thank you, thank you. What makes me joy is I am an agriculturalist, so I enjoy understanding how local people manage the soil fertility. And uh, in the process of soil fertility management, Local people use different techniques, different soil, agricultural soil management. And uh, uh, like, uh, like Coral, uh, like Adriana said, they sometimes use tilling and uh, uh, coverage, plant coverage on the soil. And all those affect, all those uh, management system has an impact on soil, uh, soil fungi. So uh, it's, it makes me joy to, to understand how uh, the, the, the local management system can affect the soil microorganisms, soil fungi, but also in the face of current techniques like uh, molecular tools, like molecular techniques, how those techniques can help understanding the, the relationship between traditional soil fertility management and microorganisms below ground. So I enjoy it visiting farms, sampling with them, working, making surveys, and understanding how mycorrhizal fungi can help increasing our uh, soil fertility. So, Wonderful. Thank you, Noru. And it sounds like, uh, in particular, you appreciate that we're at a moment where we have you have an opportunity to contribute a lot of new knowledge to farmers. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. important. Thank you. Nawal, what brings you joy and hope at this particular moment in the face of all those threats to fungi? Well, mushrooms and fungi uh, bring me a lot of joy. I have a, like a, I'm developing, I would say, a special relationship with them. Uh, they are magic. They are incredible. They are unknown. Uh, the soil itself as a living organism is unknown. And we have so much to learn. Uh, and we are in a great moment. And, and, and like projects like SPAN uh, that can fund this and can actually meeting, it's not only the funding, it's meeting people that are as enthusiastic as you uh, and working together in efforts, common efforts globally. But the other thing is bringing also people, like the audience here, and like people being more involved uh, through uh, Spotify, through the radio, through Netflix, whatever. So uh, they are being more and more involved in this world of mushrooms and fungi. And all that is uh, so encouraging to, to learn more and I feel super enthusiastic about that. Uh, in a way, not to extract the knowledge, but being respectful of the knowledge itself. Like It's like going to these places and asking nature and asking mushrooms and fungi, what do we have to learn from them? It's not like 
we have the knowledge and we kind of like do research about it. It's like, okay, what else can you teach us? Thank you. And just speaking of people appreciating the work, uh, Caroline from Madison called in just to say that she's very happy that you are all doing this work in the world. So a big thank you from one of our listeners. And Adriana, we'll give you the last word in a minute or so. Uh, what uh, brings you joy and hope? Thank you. Uh, comments like that, that uh, Caroline just makes me, gives me so much joy. I knowing that mycorrhizal fungi are being seen, are, are being talked about, are getting attention, and we are just drawing attention to this super interesting um, life-supporting organisms uh, makes, me, makes me very happy, and I just want to invite everybody to just think about them, try to have them around, once you hit see a plant, just think that in the roots, there are always a lot of mycorrhizal fungi living in cooperation with that plant. And that's just thank what you. makes me happy. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, Dr. Adriana Corrales, uh, the Expedition Strategy and Planning Lead with the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. We'll post um, to Spun on the podcast. And thank you so much, Adriana, for joining us. And Thank you so much for this invitation. We also had with us Noel Policelli with the Patagonian Institute for the Study of Continental Ecosystem. Thank you, Noel. Thank you. Thank you to the audience and for the invitation. And happy to reach. I um, mean, feel free to reach out yeah, anytime. And thank you, Dr. Noro Yoro from the Department of Natural Resources Management at the University of Paracao in Benin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to present my work. Thank you. And I'd also like to thank today's engineer, Andrew Thomas, producer Jade Isiri Ramos, news director Charlie Pittman, and thank you for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Stay tuned for Madison Book Beat. On today's show, Stu Levitan talks with Michael Dorgan, author of No Fight, No Blame, A Journalist's Life in Martial Arts. Six foot six, I'm on sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another man.